This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porry and I'm joined by Matt Withers. Hi there. Sounds like you're a little unsure about who you were then. Well, well I'm, I, it, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fluid in my identity. Sometimes I am a, by night I am a news superhero, um, newsman. <laughs> I wear a big Mac and a trilby, you know. Um, and we're also joined by a, 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 a storied newswoman, Liz Gerard. Liz, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Excellent. Liz, as you listeners will know, of course, writes lots of stuff for the New European and has had a, had a, a glorious Fleet Street career and still has one, I guess, for the New European and, and knows everything about everything that happens on the street of shame. So we're going to chat to, um, to, to Liz about that a little bit later. But we'll start with some news. And I've got, I'll, listen, full disclosure, guys, I've been on holiday up until basically about three minutes ago. And um, although I have read some news, I'm a little bit behind. So much like you, dear listener, I'm coming to the New European podcast for my news this week. So Liz and Matt, I need you to sort of um, help me out and fill me in. Um, but it is the, we're, we're back. We're going to talk about going back to actually going back to school and going back to work, Liz, with you a little bit later on. But our politicians are back to work as well. Um, how, how has the first week back gone, Matt, in your opinion? Um, <laughs> not... Not great. Um, the, the, the schools issue is obviously still the big one. Um, most English schools are now reopened. We've also got the looming issue of deciding whether to delay uh, next year's GCSE and A-level exams. Um, most Tory MPs, I think, privately think that the task is beyond Gavin Williamson. Big decisions to be made on, on, on tax and spending and, and jobs and lockdowns and this increasing um, 
war on Whitehall as, as uh, several Sir Humphreys are eased out of their positions. Um, and if you've been um, off this week, you probably didn't see Prime Minister's questions, um, but Johnson's performance was, even by his low standards, an absolute nadir. Um, it, was, it was embarrassing to watch. Um, it, it wasn't even funny. Um, it, it really, you, you, could, you could see when it panned out on TV the, the, the fear in the, in the eyes of some of these Tory backbenchers um, as to what on earth they've let themselves into. So, um, yeah, it was one heck of an intrigue for the, uh, for, for the PM. And, and I, I didn't see PMQs. I did pick up some bits on, on Twitter about it. Liz, did you see it? Um, I didn't, but I, like you, I, I saw, I've read enough about it, and um, it was clearly a disaster. Um, <laughs> Michael White pointed to Andrew Gimson's um, PMQ sketch on the Conservative Home website, um, which abs- says everything that Matt just said about how the schoolboy had failed to do his homework. Um, this, this is this is Johnson's biographer, and he's clearly disillusioned with him. Um, so that's one 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 thing to be like that. But this is Conservative Home, you know, bedrock of Toryism. And when you read the below the line comments by, you know, solid Tories, Boris was useless. Um, you know, only anoraks pay any attention to PMQs, which is just as all, as well because it's depressing. Um, Conservatives, it's going to get much worse before they get better. Um, neither Boris nor Hancock can accept the truth. Um, it, this is Tories <laughs> absolutely piling yeah. in, saying what a disgrace it was. Although if you do want to read a version um, saying it was a terrific performance by Bouncing Bozzer, then uh, as you can expect, Quentin Letts in the Times. I was going to say, it's going to be Quentin Letts. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he uh, clearly watching something different to the rest of the country. Uh, well, um, maybe I will just read the Quentin Letts uh, review then. That's all I'll need. <laughs> to be okay. fair, it's the first one he's done for a while where he hasn't managed to uh, shoehorn in there the fact that he's privately educated. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned um, the Prime Minister's entry. Go on then, Matt. What do you think? What's at the top of that entry? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll t- I-, I can tell you what I've got written down here, and we'll do it like a random issue generator. You, you tell me which of these you-, you think stands out. So I've got schools, tax and spend, jobs, the union, lockdowns, the war on Whitehall, Brexit, and party management. What- what's your fancy from that? Well, what I would say is that a lot of those would be probably near the top of any Prime Minister's entry at any moment in time, but add to that a looming Brexit no deal and the pandemic, and uh, it's quite something different, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Brexit. Obviously, it's only four months remaining now until Britain leaves without a trade deal, unless both sides can overcome an impasse over a proposed state change regime in in, in talks next week. Um, There seems to be an awful lot of... um, pessimism of on and off the record from the uh, European side uh, of things now um, and you wonder if the talk of how this so-called Australia style deal which is another word for no deal um, is really on the horizon if the government's going to have to have to walk this back in the in the face of um, a lot of hostility from their uh, from their, their backbenchers who are completely uh, completely up for that um and that's at the same time as you know there's, there's going to be uh an issue about lockdown we're talking with james ball last week it's gonna start getting cold soon um johnson's likened the prospect of another national lockdown in 
England to a nuclear deterrent at the same time that Matt Hancock's been saying that a second wave of infections coupled with a, a bad flu outbreak, which, you know, we get every year, uh, would mean more local lockdowns were likely, if not more national restrictions. So for a normal functioning government, just keeping those two balls in the air would be one, one heck of an ask. But when you add everything else into that mix, plus the competence of the team that Johnson's got around him, um, then we should just kind of roll ourselves into a, a ball in the corner of a dark room for the next few months. Liz, what, what do you think? What is the, what is the, I mean, it seems extraordinary. I mean, obviously the coronavirus response and Brexit are right at the top, but what do you think the, the Prime Minister's biggest problem is if, if he's going to get this close to anything near an even keel? I think his biggest problem is, as just Matt said, it's, it's just being surrounded by incompetence and, it's just one yes man after another being brought in. So there's absolutely no leavening of, of, of his and Cummings's opinion, or rather Cummings's opinion. It's just, it's just down the road. So getting anything done. The, I think that his biggest problem at the moment is um, party management in that he's got the, his Red Wall MPs are, you'd expect new intake, you know, only six months, in, eight months into the job to be, um, nice and compliant. He's got this stonky majority, and they're not happy. And I think that I, I think that's a problem for him. If he's if he's got you know people popping up and down, he'd have to play his game of whack-a-mole. I think of which rebellion to to let go and which which to um, stomp on. What did we think about the um, U-turn? Because the, the media loves U-turns, don't they? On the local lockdowns in. In, I think was it Trafford and uh, Bolton, I think, um, because just... the restri- we were told restrictions were going to be lifted. Andy Burnham was then very, uh, Mary Greater Manchester was very um, uh, strong on the fact that he disagreed. He thought that the, the local lockdown should remain. Obviously, he then is angering people who want them lifted, but there had been a spike in those two areas in the, in the, in the past few days, and the, and the government U-turn. Now, we could say, well, that's the government listening, and that's good. But the messaging is so confusing, isn't it? That's the big problem. Is that is is the messaging is so mixed and, and and confused. And to to say we're taking decisive action when you do something two days after you've got the information, when you've told people that you're not going to do it, I think that's that's the dangerous thing. I think, I mean, I was one of those who thought, don't you know, when Barcelona blew up with with COVID, um, and we introduced the quarantine for Spain. And I thought, and, and everybody was saying, oh, this is terrible, it's wicked, you know, sort of British holiday makers are going to be inconvenienced. And I thought, well, cracky, we've done nothing but for the last six months complain about this government being complacent and behind the ball and not doing anything. And when they do do something, everybody's saying, oh, how dare you? Um, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is different, isn't it? Because he had the information. And it was so cynical, the timing to announce it immediately after PMQs. Um, it that's the thing it it's the way they send their message apart from the fact that the message is mixed constantly and um i mean another extraordinary moment this morning on the uh, we were talking about tony abbott last week of course oh, God, tony abbott and, and and he's 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 a jolly good at trade but he happens to be a complete so-and-so in every other yeah kate burley on sky news said um accused tony abbott of being a misogynist and a sexist i think and um or so, something along those lines to which um hat mancock uh, replied 
uh, yes, but he's jolly good at trade deals. I mean, <laughs> it's extraordinary. Matt, did you see that? I've only just seen that before uh, before we we came to record this. Um, I mean, I, it was a it was a hospital pass to Hancock. I mean, I'm I'm not quite quite sure how how he could have dealt with with that better. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, he is, he, he, he is what he is. I looked I looked at I looked at Twitter this morning, and 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 the trending pane had Fred West, Adolf Hitler. Um, Rolf Harris, and I thought, what's this? And it was all linked to this Matt Hancock thing. So they were all saying, you know, sort of Fred West was was a great builder, <laughs> and, and um, Rolf Harris was a great painter, <laughs> and you know, all, all born out of the Tony Abbott thing. Um, how yeah. have you dealt with it? Um, have you seen Liz Truss being interviewed about him? Because she's I don't think I have. No, she's she's the minister for women. Yeah. And she was interviewed about him and given the same questions. And of course, she's the trade minister as well. So she's both she's got both hats on, if you like. And it's it's quite painful. And I have very little time for Liz Trust. But in terms of doing her job of stonewalling and trying to defend the indefensible, um, she'd 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 certainly she'd certainly. Um, come out a winner on fighting talk <laughs> she, <laughs> she did, she did um, she did hold her own um, although you could see her in her eyes you know, think, please let this go away please don't make me ask the questions on this anymore yeah quite well I mean it's a, it, you know it is going to be a hospital pass for for a long time if I mean he's not actually he's still not being confirmed in the role has he and uh, it was. I thought it was interesting that after um, after that this morning, and someone at number ten said these positions have not been approved yet. I just wonder if we're looking at another U-turn. Well, I do hope so, but um, it's a difficult one to U-turn from, isn't it? Because there's not going to be any new information. There's not going to be oh, circumstances have changed. We've just realised that <laughs> in, in 1997 he said something nasty. Yeah, I, I don't well, think there will be a U-turn. I, I think on on uh, on personnel issues rather than policy issues. I think Dominic Cummins is determined not to cave in to what he would regard as the, the government's enemies in the in the media. You know, we've seen policy U-turns, but in terms of personnel, you know, to paraphrase Donald Trump, Johnson's ministers and his team could stand in the middle of Oxford Street and shoot somebody and retain their jobs. Yeah, but I mean, we have had someone from uh, I think the I think the guy is called uh, I don't know his first name, but I think he's O'Shea. He's he's gone from a government job today. Oh, this is this is one of his um, one of his uh, one of weirdos. one of his uh, blue sky thinkers, weirdos, and whatever they were called. So, so this was the guy, and I, I haven't got his name written down in front of me. I think I think you're right. Um, you Tony, know, he, Tony, he... Tony O'Shea. Perhaps, Sorry? yeah. Tony O'Shea was it? I can't, um, I'm, I'm, I can't be absolutely sure. Tony O'Shea is a very fine um, darts player from. Ah, oh. well, we better um, we better we better make a legal disclaimer there. Uh, Tony O'Shea has never worked for the British government. Always, <laughs> always the bridesmaid and never the bride in the BDO Championships. Tony O'Shea. Um, no, this, been... this this guy basically tweeted saying, um, you know, shoot the Black Lives Matters protesters. And you kind of think, okay, you know, fine. He's an idiot. He's probably straight out of university, wet behind the ears, 21, 22. He's 57. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where are they finding these people? Yeah, he, he, he said that the, I think he said that if the, 
by its continuous, I mean, it's time to get the live rounds out, which is obviously a despicable thing to say for anyone aged 21 or 56. And he's been, yeah, uh, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't playing down it. I, I just find it astonishing that this came from somebody in the twilight years of their of, of their career. It's, yeah, I, I don't know why anything surprises me anymore, actually. No, quite, I agree. Um, and we, we still haven't seen any, I mean, if you think back to Theresa May, um, do you remember when everything was more stable under Theresa May? Um, it's strong and stable. And strong, even. and strong. Yeah, in comparison to this mess anyway. Well, she she did get rid of quite a few ministers, didn't she? Uh, Pretty Patel when, Amber Rudd when. Gavin Williamson. Williamson. What brilliant. Williamson. <laughs> what great taste she had in sacking ministers <laughs> but, but but we've not really we've not really i know it's it seems like Boris no, prime minister for, yeah yeah that's right there's the, there is a fairly fairly lengthy list now we've not boris johnson hasn't hasn't got rid of any ministers yet as far as i'm aware i don't think and um but we must be getting close now if i was going to open a book who you know who who would you who would your money be on who's the who's the favorite i actually um did the rounds of the websites of all the major high street bookmakers to see if you could get odds on this and none of them are opening uh, a book on that at, at the moment i mean going back to what i said about them being pretty loyal in in the face of um of, of the media I, I, there's a few names i've got here uh, matt hancock i think he may find he's expendable in the event of a second wave of covid infections um in the winter if, if boris johnson needs a human shield um, if he's reshuffling rather than sacking, um, Liz Truss hasn't pulled up many trees at international trade. Gavin Williamson, I think, is actually probably fine because he's uber loyal and importantly, he knows where all the bodies are buried. So even if he's taken away from education, I think he'll be found. He's also got a really big, scary spider. He's got a massive spider and, as we know, a literal whip. Um, (laughs) The the final one, uh, actually moving on directly from that, is the chief whip, Mark Spencer. I think he's proven a remarkably incompetent chief whip with complete insubordination amongst the a majority of, of, of 80. It's quite possible, actually, Gavin Williamson could be moved back into that role. Yeah. I mean, I, I, have, to, I have to admit, I thought that Gavin Williamson was more competent than he is. Um, I, I, I thought he'd, you know, like him or love him, I think he did a pretty good job as, in difficult situation as, as Chief Whip, but he seems, he seems to be in over his head, doesn't he? I mean... Um, the Sunday Times lampooned him this week, didn't they, with a just Williamson sort of cartoon, um, and he he is up there with Matt Hancock as having. I mean, you would say at the start of coronavirus in those first three months of absolute chaos, Matt Hancock obviously had a really tough time, but he also had a really tough job. Um, and you know, I'm not I'm not downplaying Williamson's, but the the, the and it's, look at this brilliant segue. Um, but the, the, this this whole schools thing of um, of you know it's it's just been chaos, Liz, hasn't it? Well, it, it's getting the the, the A level thing was just awful. Um, and what you can't understand is that you you have got some sympathy with him saying that Ofqual would fail to do this, but he's the minister; he's supposed to oversee it. Um, they announced in March that they weren't going to have the exams. So, and nobody's been in school since March. So really, they could all have had their their results in April. 
and they've had they had you know five months to 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 get a thing going and then they had a week's notice with the chaos in scotland and they still were saying we're going to do this we're going to do this williamson had an interview in the times saying um that there would be no change of heart there would be no u-turn um which of course they promptly did and had to um it it was shambolic and the btec was even worse really I'm not even sure if they've yet got their results in BTEC, have they? Right. I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't think they have, no. Um, I just apologise again. A lot of sirens in East London today, <laughs> so some of those might be getting um, picked up. I, I think one of the things about Gavin Williamson that people, when you speak to anyone involved in, in teaching, will say is, whatever you thought of Michael Gove, he had a fascination with and passion for education. He might have not done a great job. A lot of teaching unions would argue that, but it was an issue that he'd written about and thought about for yeah. a number of years. Gavin Williamson, this is a stepping stone. You know, he just, it, this job is just, he's got his eye on the next one. You know, he, 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 this, you get through this and then hopefully the next one will be one of the great offices of state. I haven't heard an interview with him or read one of his, you know, Sun on Sunday op-eds uh, that persuaded me that he's got any insight into or passion for the the portfolio he holds. It's just it's just the next job. I think you're right on that. But as for Gove, of course, if he hadn't have abandoned coursework and AS levels, he'd have yeah. had something solid to go on. Of course. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree completely. But with um... I think the GCSEs worked better because of that U-turn. So should we should we maybe give him a a, a little pat on the back for that U-turn? I, I mean, I I, I don't. I've, you 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 were right when you said the media loves um loves U-turns. Um, the general public don't really notice because if somebody's doing something bad and then stops and, and stops doing that bad thing, then you know the, the public tends to have a bit of a a fair play thing about it but um to have got into that situation in in the first place yeah. when as, as, as liz points out this this wasn't a, an aberration that came out of nowhere you know the exams are like christmas that you know you know exactly when in the in the calendar they're going to be so to, to have not prepared for this pretty much inevitable situation i don't know if we should applaud them too much for them digging no, I, themselves I, out I, of it. Yeah, well you're you're absolutely right of course i was playing devil's advocate but i think it's and and it's it's more than that, isn't it? The fact that he was on holiday in Scarborough at the time. Nothing wrong with Scarborough, by the way. My father lives there; it's lovely. But I mean, just the just the optics of the whole thing. Um, you know, he, he just he just should have been everywhere in the two and a half, three weeks beforehand. He should have been very obviously having meetings. Very and even before that, I mean, like you say, it was it was coming down the tracks, and it. It, it shouldn't have been a shock to them that it was that it was the massive, massive cock-up um, that it was. And now, what about getting people back to school? How has that been handled? You know, I've got three kids who've gone back to school today. How, you know, it seems that parents are quite keen to get their kids back to school, which is completely understandable. But well, do you there's think a, there's a very good piece in this week's uh, New European? <laughs> Absolutely. So, Wait. what are the government doing a good enough job on? On, on, on getting this message across, should kids be going back to school at all? I took a lot of heavy flack right at the start of lockdown for saying schools shouldn't even been shut. Um, well, where are we at now? I think I think most people think that the school should be back. It was it was the um, 
making sure that things were safe um, for everyone. And I think that was that was the problem is that is that the teachers were being portrayed as 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 militant lefties who were trying to spoil everything. Um, they teachers unions look out unions look after their members and, and and it's the teachers unions job to look after teachers not to look after the children that the teachers look after and teachers are vulnerable because they're adults they're not you know sort of yes five-year-olds are safe to go to school it's safe for children but is it safe for the people who are teaching them um, you know what it's like you say Richard you've got three kids you know that two weeks into term your whole household sniffling absolutely it's it's it you know they are they are hotbeds of, of of infection and a cold is a is a coronavirus so we don't know and what i'm saying is that there should be more understanding about the need to make sure that things are safe for teachers and consequently their families and obviously um the children's families every you, the the wider thing um and you can't just sort of say, well, get on with it. Um, it's safe for children because there's, there, are, there are two things in play. And it's not possible to do the sort of social distancing that's required. I know that great efforts have been made to get schools ready. Um, and heads have spent the whole of the summer, you know, they haven't all just been asleep on holiday, um, trying to work out systems, getting getting classrooms ready, working out how their bubbles are going to work because they've all got different ways of doing their bubbles. And the question that everybody has been asking is what happens if you get a case of COVID? Because we know that if you have a case of COVID, track and trace works so brilliantly. You're supposed to self-isolate. Everybody that you've met is supposed to self-isolate. What happens in the school if it happens? And I remember that quite early in in the talk about when schools were going to be reopening, um, the the government refused to put up anyone onto the world at one to 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 discuss the reopening of schools, and they ended up talking to Robert Halfon, who is the um, chairman of the Education Select Committee. And Edward Sturt asked him about eight times that question: What happens if there's a case? And he um, Halfen just kept saying, well, there are guidelines, there are guidelines, but the guidelines didn't say anything. Well, those guidelines finally came out at 11 o'clock last Friday, 11 o'clock at night on the Friday before a bank holiday with the schools going back on the Tuesday. It's just that that's where it's just hopeless. They're, they're just not helping themselves. Yeah, and like you say, they've had plenty of time. Again, this is, we've, they've had plenty of time. You, you'd I know that, you know, there was, I think there was quite rightly some sympathy for, for the government um, months ago because they were dealing with something that, we, you know, we, there wasn't bags and bags of time to sort of plan for. They perhaps should have done a better job of planning in January and February, but nonetheless, this was unprecedented. And but they but they have had time to plan for these guidelines. They had had time to plan for the levels. They did have time plan for BTEC, GCCs, etc., etc., um, and and still everyone and again and again and again it comes down to to the messaging um, and how they're getting the messages across. I saw a perfect example earlier on, which was some government messaging that had gone out in I think in the uh, in the in the Manchester area again, saying 
and it, it said that the headline was, are you confused about what you can and can't do under local lockdown or under lockdown or whatever? And then it was the most complex, uh, you know, I, I think I was more confused about what I may or may not be able to do after reading it than I was beforehand. Um, now, I'm not saying that these things are, are easy to convey, but it just feels like every single time they send something out, it's either too late or it doesn't really make much sense um, and people come away scratching their heads. And that seems to have been a theme for, for, for a long while now. I think there's a problem for this government in that you can't set out the, um, those regulations in, in three words. Yeah. That's, when, <laughs> when people talk about the supposed communications genius of, of, of Dominic Cummings, um, it's, you know, what take back control. Fine. I mean, nonsensical, understandable um you can't do that around uh, education and the the restrictions and what will happen with the the inevitable um i think um looking at other countries around the world uh outbreak i, I suspect in in two weeks time there's going to be an awful lot of chaos in in parts of the country yes yeah, I, I think i think so two weeks you're going to get see how it starts to pan out yeah. Which is why I think that the, that the the wider get back to work message, which is very mixed, because I think that Johnson is is quite nervous of it, even though he knows he's got to get the country back moving. Um, why they've decided that they or they did decide, but have now backtracked, not exactly a U-turn, that this week there was going to be the campaign about how it was safe to go back to work. Um, and you think, well, why? Why not just let the schools bed in before, you know, you're encouraging people to go back gently, that's fine, but why not just wait a couple of weeks and see how this beds in and then do your look it's safe, go back to work campaign. And yeah. it, that, that's just sort of, after, after how many months is it, five months of lockdown? I mean, another two weeks isn't going to make the huge difference. Um, you, it's a lack of common sense. They keep telling us that we could use great British common sense, but that it just seems to be flying all over the place. Well, Nobody well we've got to you. Have a handle on anything. Well, we've got you here, Liz, and, and on that on that point, um, both the Evening Standard, um, for fairly obvious reasons, and the Daily Mail are desperate for people to go back to. I'm not talking about their office. I'm not sure what their working arrangement is, but more That's generally right. for people to get back out into the office. Obviously, the standard one, that's happened because if there's no commuters, there's no readers. Um, and they've just, you know, they have just announced a huge cut in journalists there. Um, Mark's out to any, you know, former colleagues and, uh, and and people who've been caught up in that. But that is directly from the loss of the ad revenue. But the, what, what do you think of those two campaigns? How do you think that, that this issue has been handled by, not just by those two papers, but as an example, the Mail and beyond? I think I think that it's it, it is I mean the the one that that strikes me that's that's been so anti lockdown and desperate to get you back has been the telegraph from the word go um I mean they re, which which you would think would be slightly counterintuitive um you know obviously the conservative business interests but also quite an aging readership not quite daily express level so you would think that they would be concerned for for their readers um, but they, they've always been rather more on the economy than on than on on deaths. Um, the mail is disingenuous, isn't it? Because 
I mean, even at the at, right in the early stages, I mean, I think Private Eye pointed up that that when they gave out, in, the government gave out information about this, this and this was going to be safe. And, and they said, no, these, then they had an internal memo that said, no, this isn't safe enough for us. We're doing something completely different. We're not going to do what they say. Um, so while in print, they're, they're backing the government and in real life, they're saying, no, it's not safe. Um, mm -hmm. And, and they, yes, they need people back at work because they need advertisers. But the thing is that, employers have a legal right to look after responsibility to look after the welfare of their staff and if they insist that people go back to work and then people go back to work and they contract covid and god forbid die um they're going to get themselves up to their ears in litigation they don't need that why does anybody need that yeah absolutely i agree completely it's a it's a real tightrope you know and the conversations are going on um, I am back in our office, um, but conversations are going on in every major employer about about how this happens. And you know, currently, I think um, you know we've got about thirty percent of our staff back. So it's, it's very easy to do social distancing and things like that. And the and the view is that if people want to come back, they can. And we sort of it's on a rolling basis. You know, we see what happens week by week. And I guess that's kind of got to be the view for for most employers, hasn't it? I think that's the thing that makes the most sense is that is that um, I mean a, a former colleague of mine at the time, David Byers, was tweeting the other day. For heaven's sake, you cannot have full return to the offices. You know, you can't have more than thirty percent because you've got to have the social distancing. I think there's going to be a whole rethink of everything in 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 the way that people approach working from home, working in the office, um, and I, I remember. This is really going back. I think it was about 1995, something like that. We had um, one of these Arthur Anderson, you know, sort of ergonomic checking how everybody's working in the office yeah. thing. You will have to fill in a in a in a, um, a questionnaire, and the final question was, what would be the single thing that would change your life, your working life? And I put teleworking, and it was just not anywhere on the agenda. Nobody thought that it was possible to work from home um, and subsequently I did on occasions do some stuff working from home um, and it really wasn't very satisfactory it drove people nuts because I was sort of issuing instructions from afar and it, it just it, it it was very unsatisfactory even though you could have the pages on the screen at home yeah. and everything um, it's a question of getting a balance a friend of mine works in financial services and he's never going to go back to more than um, three or four days a week. And it's going to change his life. I mean, he's up at five o'clock in the morning and getting home at half past seven at night. Um, he doesn't need to do that. A woman on, a woman on Twitter said the other day, why, why have I got to go back to work? I'm working from home. The government wants me to spend 250 pound a year on and 40 a week and, and 40 hours of my life commuting just so i can go and buy a six pound sandwich at prep also um people are still spending money i mean i i'm still spending money but but locally I mean, archant's london office isn't actually in in central london unlike most but i'm spending money here um and surely if 
people are now spending their money where they live in, say, Walsall and not going into central Birmingham. Well, wasn't that part of the whole agenda that the government was that, supposedly elected on in December? If, if, if people do go out, out and about in, in the way that you're talking about, I think you're absolutely right. There was a, there was a, there was a very good essay that I read um, this week, and it was about talking about levelling up. And the woman who wrote it, her name was Mary somebody, I wish I could remember it, um, said that the, basically what they want is everybody to do what London wants. And in fact, it should be levelling across so that ev because the money is not in London, this is, this is wicked. We think the money should be here in London. Um, and how, but if you want it to be across the country and, and provincial places benefit, but of course the thing is if we all do all our shopping online and, and, and buy it on Amazon, then it's going straight out of the country and not into the economy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Let's let's get back to one of my favourite topics, and that is the um, and that is the Daily Mail. <laughs> fascination to me. Um, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, and I don't think any of us have. But I'm told by someone who has seen it that um, that our, the new European founder and, and current publisher, former editor Matt Kelly's column on Geordie Gregg interviewed him. Um, I think, and it's lengthy. I think it's about six thousand words. This, so it, it should be very good. Um, is in GQ this month. So take a look if you can. But I just wondered what, wondered what your feelings were on on how the Daily Mail is has changed since um, since uh, Dacre left. Because I, I remember certainly at the begin, you know, immediately after Brexit, you did a lot of stuff on for the New European on on the impact the Mail had had, not just in the in the course of the campaign, but for years and years before. I think that the, I mean, uh, we probably pick up on, on these things more than the average reader, but I don't think the change between um, Dacre and, and, and current editor Geordie Gregg um, it has been subtle. I think it's been quite quite different. What, what, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm very interested to hear, hear, hear what you say about that because I don't think it's changed very much at all. Um, I remember when, in in the um, first few weeks after after Geordie Gregg took over, famous Remainer, um, there, there was a lot of stuff about how um, there was a, a noticeable softening in the, in the lines on Brexit, and um, I don't think it I don't think there was much of a change of stance, um, and I don't think there's a huge difference that I that I've noticed now i think i in fact i think i see parallels in what's going on at the moment with boris johnson um with cameron not quite as um vituperative perhaps but um if you think back to 2015 and the mail campaign really really hard to get cameron it didn't want the coalition it wanted cameron in power and it was so pleased, this is your victory for common sense when, when he won his surprise majority without the need for any, any lib, Libs help. Um, and then the moment they got him where they wanted him, got seen off the Libs, seen off, um, seen off uh, Ed Miliband, they, they went straight for him, right, referendum, your negotiations with Europe are rubbish, you're rubbish on immigration, um, and they just stuck the knife in Cameron to such a degree that I, I, I have read. I don't know that it's true that that um, Cameron actually tried to get Rosamir um, to sack Dacre. Um, and I get sense of I get sense of this now. 
that we've just had we must have the Tories we've got to get rid of Corbyn so let's let's vote in let vote, vote in Johnson um, and now it's since um, since COVID it's just been absolutely at him constantly and rightly so um, but well, I guess there, there is where I would say perhaps the difference is because, you know, the male had this anti-EU agenda beforehand and saw an opportunity with with Cameron. Obviously, Cameron had mentioned a referendum in the in the in the run up to that election. Many people say that might be what he got him his his um, his majority in two thousand and fifteen. So that was their opportunity to get on him and and go after him because of that until it happened. I think with. What I would say, and full disclosure, I've worked um, with Geordie Gregg at the Evening Standard. What I, what I think, and of course he's got to, there, <coughs> excuse me, there is obviously still a, an established Daily Mail reader. Uh, you know, it would, it would, it never would suddenly a new editor come in, um, and it, it would, it would change completely. But what I think, I, I just, I, I'm trying to think and i worked under paul dacre as well and i'm trying to think how what his response would be in and i think it would probably be more akin to i think that they would be very very attack minded on um and i know i'm not saying that jody Gregg's daily mail is any different from this but perhaps with a different tone on the people who are who, who you know who who wanted to close our schools back then? Who wanted to who, who want to extend furlough? All those things that they might not agree with necessarily. And I think there might there might have been more support for the Tories at this stage under Dacre than they're getting under Geordie Gregg. But I mean, who knows? That's that is we'll never know if that's true or not, will we? But I think that he would have seen it as an opportunity as well to uh to to sharpen the knives for for starmer which i haven't i may have missed it i don't read the daily mail every day by any means but i haven't seen a great deal of it has mainly been attack at the government i think hasn't it and i can't ever imagine i can never imagine a geordie greg edited newspaper having a headline like enemies of the people or or anything like that oh no no uh, no i i think in terms of the, the general drift of the agenda though i think is the same but you're right i think that the knives would have been out for starmer from day one um i mean they'd have all the way through the campaign they would have been attacking long bailey no doubt um and once once they'd have kept their powder dry for starmer and um of course the the male is no fan of the cps so it would have it would have rejoiced in in rehearsing all of starmer's history there yeah um yeah, that that would definitely have happened. Um, except, I suppose it all came in the middle of COVID, didn't it? So absolutely, that's changed everything, of course. Changed yeah. everything. But um, I don't think the Mail has ever been a great fan of Boris Johnson. I mean, I think that, like, um, I mean, the Sun has now become almost as hero worshipping of him as um, as the Express always has been. Um, but the and and obviously the telegraph um the times is bizarre you know in in backing him in the first place um but they all just went for him because they thought he could win didn't it that was that was all it was was just beat labor beat labor we need the man who can win never and and maybe we can sort it out afterwards which is of course what goes theory was on brexit wasn't it it was just (laughs) let's let's leave and then we'll sort it out afterwards 
Just a point on, on Starmer. Um, I think that the, uh, that the Tory press and the Mail and the Mail on Sunday in particular um, have the same problem that, that, that Boris Johnson's got at PM. I don't think they know what to do with him yet. So the only proper attack that I can remember in the past few months was a, a bonkers um, Mail on Sunday story about the fact that he had... Uh, oh, the land! Uh, yeah, he's got... The there was land that he bought for his mom who cares very much about um, donkeys and uh, if I recall, he had effectively bought a, a donkey sanctuary to run in, in, her, in her dotage. And the, the attempt was to um, pin on him that he, you know, he's a, a champagne socialist splashing the, the, the cash around and not living the lives of his red wall voters. But actually, I think a lot of people look at that and say, well, here's a guy from relatively, certainly compared to Johnson, humble beginnings, who's made his money by not inheritance, but being very, very good at his chosen profession. And he chose to spend some of that by the donkey sanctuary for his, uh, his, his, elderly, his elderly mother. I think a lot the of thing, Mail on Sunday thing, readers... The thing, about, the thing about that story was that, um, was that they said that this was, this was worth £10 million if it was ever developed. You know, sort of yeah, was, exactly. You know, you know. I've got that garden, you know, <laughs> that, that would be worth a million pounds if it were developed. You know, it's just... <laughs> But you're right. I mean, bringing up the mail on Sunday, of course, that does help, um, I think, sort of amplify Richard's case about how the mail has changed. Because if you look at the mail on Sunday, then that tells you what a Dacre Daily Mail would be like yeah. now. It's yeah. taken a real lurch to the, it, to the, it, the right, it hasn't is, it? It is unbelievable. But that, that story was priceless. One thing that hasn't changed, um, I, Fred Bassett, What's that all about? Is it supposed to be funny? Is it satirical? <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I look at it and I, I'm like, I'm sorry. I, is, the, is the last picture missing? I don't get the jokes. Oh, I've been looking at Fred Bassett for 50 years. Is it funny? I don't know. I haven't looked at it, I haven't looked at it for years and years. I'm surprised he's still going. But I can't believe anybody's being horrible about poor Fred Bassett. <laughs> well, there you go. You see Matt Withers. He's an edgy character. He really is. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to put my head above the parapet. I'm going it's straight in on <laughs> Listen, Liz, an absolute pleasure. And we've kept you far too long. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, be great to have you on again soon. Um, and thanks so much for... Um, for, for your writings for New European as well. I know, I know lots of readers uh, look forward to your stuff. So thank you very much. It's a well, really good piece this week, I should say. It's in, in, in shops now. Uh, it's well worth a read if you've got any interest in, in the issue around schools going back. There you go. Thanks very much, Liz. Thank you, both. Thank you. Hey, Matt, um, uh, just tell me quickly what you're sat next to. I'm sat next to a box of beers from the uh, the online club Beer 52. I believe it to be the UK's largest. Yeah, well, we we have they're good friends of ours at Beer 52, and they do send us free beer. But you've actually bought that beer, haven't you? You're have. actually a happy yeah. customer. I'm a I'm a I'm a subscriber. Um, it, it it was one of those lockdown things, you know. I did, I've always heard it advertised on on podcasts, but never been able to really before because I live in a in a in a in a flat and if there's nobody in it's very difficult to get any delivery so i, I took the plunge in lockdown and i'm a well, very happy and uh, often drunk man no no it's it, they're the beers for for somebody who uh who, who savors a beer I'd say. it is it's certainly it is, it is certainly a, a a beer connoisseur's beer um uh well we are coming to the end of summer 2020 looking out the window you think we probably are at the end um and it has been a rather strange one 
Uh, but life is getting back to normal. So what better way to celebrate than close out summer with the best beer on the planet? Um, maybe you're having a barbecue or a, a garden festival. Get some music on. Uh, you're not allowed to sing, though, so maybe just hum. Um, or maybe your, your football season's about to start. Perfect. Beer 52 have the perfect solution for any occasion. And you, dear listener, are very special because they are offering you eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52, that's beer52.com forward slash new. And uh, you just need to cover the £5.95 for the postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. It's got more than 150,000 members. They send a brand new case every month. Each month's case has a different theme. Uh, we've tried ones from New Zealand, South Africa. We had a European one, which was excellent. Um, but they're, they're a British company, so very passionate about UK craft uh, beer scene as well. Um, you can mix it up as well. If dark beer is not your thing, choose the light option um, or vice versa. You also get an award-winning beer magazine and you get a tasty snack in there as well. Uh, and if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any second. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.beer52.com forward slash new to get your first case of eight beers for just $5.99 postage. That's www.beer52.com forward slash new. Beer52.com forward slash new. I forgot to spell beer there. I forgot how to spell beer there, Matt, in the middle of that. Um, right then, we're going to have a little break and then I've got a little quiz to close us out, Matt. Are you looking forward to it? Oh, very much so. It's song-based. Okay. Excellent. Stick with us. Welcome back. There's no Brexiteer of the Week this week because, of course, uh, Steve Anglesey, a.k.a. The Gloved Wang, um, is... Uh, I'm still not entirely sure where he is, but he's somewhere on holiday. It's his birthday today, actually. So maybe everyone could send him belated birthday wishes on Twitter. Um, so, listen, I, I, bit of a, this is a bit of a strange one, but I... I was thinking, I was driving the other day, and I was thinking, Matt, how um, great art often comes out of, of times of, of great strife and hardship, yeah? Yep, um, I think that's very true. <laughs> I thought we'd lost you there. He's drinking one of those beers. I've not. Um, it's, it's five o'clock. It's, it's, an hour, it's an hour too early for me. <laughs> I thought you meant it's five o'clock. I've clocked off. <laughs> no, I like, I, like, done. I, I like to open the first one. Well, let me put the TV on in the background. <laughs> Oh, well, Hollyoaks. I'm already a couple deep by Hollyoaks. I need a couple before Hollyoaks. Um, so I was thinking, what are the great political songs of, you know, of, of the past? And I think often they, they can be a bit like protest songs. And I was thinking about certain songs and they were prompted by political things or prompted by news things or whatever. So what I'm going to do, Matt, is I'm going to, there's 10 points here. So I'm going to read you the lyrics of a political song, right? Oh, and I want you to tell me the song and the artist, and then I want you to tell me what prompted the writing of that song. Are you ready? I mean, I not really. really. Sing, but I might give it. Might give away the song if I sing. Oh come on! You yeah, no, honestly, I, all of these songs, all of I'll these give it songs a crack. came out while you were alive. Okay. Okay. Is it worth it? 
a new winter coat and shoes for the wife and a bicycle on the boy's birthday. Any idea what song that is from? Um, is it? Oh, it's not shipbuilding, is it? It is. It's well is done. It? Shipbuilding. Wow. The, the lyrics, that's very well done. The lyrics were written by um, Elvis Costello, of course, and Robert Wyatt was the, was the singer, 1982. And do you know why? What, 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 what political event, um, or what event might have prompted that song? Was this something Falklands related? That's right, the Falklands War. So there was, um, he, he was suggesting that the, 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 the shipbuilding areas in the northeast and Glasgow that had, uh, had suffered so much may get a bump in profits, but what, at what price? You know, because uh, because there's going. I mean, you say these all war, came out basically. in in my um, in my lifetime. I mean, I'd have been uh, what year did it come out? Did you say eighty two? Nineteen eighty two. You would have been right, ten. So I, I'd have, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd have been two. <laughs> So I, I wasn't full. Well, I was too. I was too as well. Yeah. So we I was much too. Yeah. So I wasn't taking a huge amount of interest in in geopolitics. But you got it right, the... Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm Everyone just... knows shipbuilding. Okay. You're moaning because you got it right. Uh, right. Well, here's here's question two, and you're you're at, you're at maximum two points from the first question. This is a. I I, I mean, this is this is such a great song. I'm ready and hyped, plus I'm amped. Most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps. Oh, um, is this is this a US act? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, get that by the on no on no stamps. Oh, is it? I don't know. Uh, is Bruce Springsteen? Uh, no, but Bruce Springsteen is a very good guest, uh, and might be a good guest for some of the some of the other ones that were. Uh, but I, I, I'll tell you, give you a clue. I haven't picked any Bruce Springsteen. Um, that was Public Enemies' "Fight the Power." Oh, um, of course. It I can was. give you a point if you can tell me on, on what, what. I mean, you should be able to. Why would Public Enemy have? What would they have been singing about in in "Fight the Power"? Oh, was it a sort of, is it a speci- it's a specific event it's not than... that specific actually and it's still quite an issue <laughs> is it is it structural inequality within the within us society or do you want more specific than that was it the los angeles riots very much to do with it wasn't because it was prior to that but it is to do with pre- certainly with police brutality in in the US in the 1980s. I think I was close um, enough. Well, all right, I'll give you yeah, a point. I'll give thanks. you a point. All right, this one's easier. That was that is the hardest one. That one, number two. This is easier. Can't go on no more. People getting angry. Oh come on! It's very hard not to do the next bit of that song after saying that. Can't go on no more. People getting angry. Can't go on no more. People I don't, getting angry. I don't know. I don't know. This, that's Ghost Town by the Specials. Oh. If I'd have gone, la, 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 yeah, yeah. La, 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 you'd have got it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'm floundering here. And that, any idea what that might have been in response to? It came out in 1981. Um, it was, um, was it, oh, God, I do know this. Oh, I really think you've jumped this on me this week. <laughs> um, was this in response to to riots? 
Uh, well, they was, had. They certainly had been. They certainly had been riots. Or, or was it more, riots, more, more generally the um, the unemployment um, as a result of um, of Keith Joseph and, and monetarism? Unemployment and inner city decay in Thatcher's Britain. I think you definitely get a point for that. Great. So I've got you on one, two, three, four. That's not bad. That's not bad. Four out of six. Okay. Hang the DJ. Hang the DJ. Hang the DJ. Uh, it's the Smiths. Yeah. And it's Panic. It is Panic. And, and this one, I've sort of thrown, you know, with a slight obsession with Morrissey and bonkers Morrissey on this show, but... This one, this one is a kind of, it's not directly political, but it's a very big event in the 1980s. It's in direct response to that. Um, was this, uh, Morrissey went to um, a nightclub and he had to really forcefully tell the person in the cloakroom to hang up his dinner jacket? <laughs> no, it's a good story, this one. Um, so Morrissey was listening to Radio 1 uh, when they cut in to the afternoon show to uh, to deliver the, the breaking news of the Chernobyl disaster. And after uh, that news had finished, they played Wham! And um, <laughs> Morrissey thought this was a strange... A strange uh, choice of music to play after telling everyone they may well be dead in a few uh, in a few days' time. Um, uh, so that was that was in response to the Chernobyl disaster and Wham being played on Radio One immediately after the announcement being made. Well, that's a good story. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. So that, I think we've got you on seven now. No, wait a minute. Yes, yeah, seven. Is that right? No. I take seven. One, two, three, four. Sorry, five. Right, last one. It belongs to them. Let's give it back. Oh, is this Paul McCartney give Ireland back to the Irish? No, it's not. It's not. It's not Ireland it not? to the Irish. It's not that. No. Um, I wonder if I could sing it. It belongs to them. Let's give it back. That's not helped at all. Why are you still listening to this? No, nobody is. No, um, yeah, you definitely do. It's a very famous song in the eighties. Belongs to them. Give it back. No, sorry. Okay, it's the midnight oil. Beds are burning. Remember that? No. <laughs> when our beds are burning. No. No, don't know that one. So I'm, yeah, I complete absolute ignorance in that case. Well, that's a, well. You do know it. You do know it. You've definitely heard it. It's just my rendition. That was so. The band Midnight Oil, an Australian band, that was a plea to return uh, land to the indigenous people of Australia. Um, and the lead singer was a guy called Peter Garrett, who went on to be an MP in uh, in Australia. Good. You'll give him a chance. Fascinating facts. Fascinating um, facts. Isn't well, one of one of. Um, Runrig was it? It's now an SMP. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's very interesting. Very. Um, interesting. And I can't recall his name. I'm, I'm having an absolute shocker here. Um, I'm yeah. sure people will tweet in and remind me. Na- next week we're going to do the songs of Marillion. Can you match the songs of Marillion with the artwork of Marillion? Wow, that's going to work in audio, isn't it? We're definitely not going to do that. Um, we'll do. We will. We'll get Steve back on quiz duty next week. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, but that, I think, is it from us for this week, dear listener. If you haven't already, go and buy the printed product. It's £3. It's a stonker. It always is. I always say it, but it's always true. Lots of politics, 
lots of Brexit, all sorts of art and culture as well. And that fine article by Liz Gerard, of course. Thank you very much, Liz, for coming on. Mr. Withers, an absolute pleasure. Um, yep, uh, we'll be, we'll P- be hearing P- from you again next week. The SNP uh, NP who was in Runrig uh, is Pete Wishart, who uh, is also a member of um, MP4, you know, the parliamentary band made up of MPs from across the political divide. Um, oh, we should get them on the pod. Ke- Kevin, oh. Kevin Brennan, the Labour MP uh, for Cardiff West, I think. He, he's a member of it as well. Um, yeah, should we book them? I think we, should get them to, we could get them to play out or play in. Um, I'm not sure Mr. Campbell would be too keen on getting bumped from the end of the show. Um, Can but... I plug something musically as well? If you want. Uh, this week's uh, New European on sale now in all good news agents. Um, I interviewed the creation co-founder, Alan McGee, and you can read that interview in this week's edition. Um, oh, that's good. I, I interviewed had, him years ago. He's a lot of fun, isn't he? I had an awful lot of fun speaking to him. Um, so, yeah, hopefully people get a, get a flavour of how, how, how enjoyable it was to, to, to chat with him. Yeah, he was brilliant. I, I spoke to him many, many years ago, and we chatted just like old pals for like 45 minutes, and then he just went, right, I'm done, and put the phone down. <laughs> Anyway, dear listener, here is Mr. Campbell and his bagpipes. Thank you very much. Here you go. Crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.